Today's episode of the Bill Simmons Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network brought to you by ZipRecruiter, where I was just looking at ZipRecruiter the other day and Tom Brady's resume was on there. He's looking for a new employer or is somebody pretending to be Tom Brady. I'm actually making this up. I'm very worried about Tom Brady right now. 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within a day. They're the best at distributing your job to the best boards, identifying the right people and inviting them to apply. My listeners can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Meanwhile, SeatGeek, the best app for buying and selling tickets to sporting events, concerts, and more for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase on any game or sporting event for NBA, NHL, baseball, whatever you want. You know what to do. Just use promo code BS. You can buy your Red Sox playoff tickets right now. They are on pace to go 145 and 17. Something like that. It's amazing. Download the SeatGeek app. Go right to SeatGeek.com. Finally, Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans wants to help you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, they will give you a transparent online process and the confidence to make an informed decision, get a real mortgage approval in minutes, adjust the rate and the length of your loan in real time to get started. Go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumer access, Dot org number 30. 30. Don't forget to subscribe to the Ringer NBA show. We are taping it. It's Wednesday right now as you're listening to this. Ringer NBA show taping Wednesday night. Three great games tonight. And the crew will be on after doing group chat, posting it late tonight. So you'll be able to listen to it late tonight or early tomorrow morning. And if you go on to the ringer.com right now, Kevin O'Connor lays out the blueprint for upsetting LeBron James. Justin Charity, Charity, I'm sorry, uh, writes about the ambivalent tell-all of James Comey. Roger Sherman breaks down Saquon Barkley's worth in the modern NFL. And Brian Curtis writes about the Denver Post sports section, which is finally falling into shambles. Check all that stuff out. If you missed me in house yesterday, we broke down um, all of our thoughts on where the basketball playoffs were. We did this before last night's incredible Pelicans game, as well as the Celtics Bucks game we went to where I had predicted yesterday, yet another bad prediction for me. I had predicted a monster game from Giannis did not happen, but more the fault of his teammates and how he is being defended than anything. But I think the Bucks are in real trouble. I, uh, did not like their body language. I think Bledsoe, and I'm not even saying this because, uh, he, you know, said had this stuff with Terry Rogier after the game, Bledsoe in person, was uh, he's not a leader. He doesn't make his teammates better. His body language was terrible and he was getting his butt kicked. And um, considering they traded a first round pick for him and Greg Monroe, who by the way, would have really helped them last night. Um, that was not a great trade. They do not have, I don't know what the right five man lineup they should be playing, but it definitely wasn't any of the lineups I saw last night. I don't know why they don't play. I would go, I would go, I would go down in flames with Bledsoe and Brogdon, Chris Middleton, and really any other shooter as the fourth one, just to spread the floor and just hope that worked. But I don't think they have a five-man lineup that works in this series. I, who knew? The Celtics, amazing. Uh, coming up, going to talk about Tom Brady for a little bit right at the top and then calling Shea Serrano to talk about the Kawhi Leonard situation in San Antonio. But more importantly, Shay and I both love action movies and we're going to break down the best and the worst of the last two years the stuff we love on cable, on demand, all that stuff. It's a fun one. But first, Pearl Jam. Mm-hmm. 
it is a Wednesday. I'm still in Boston, Massachusetts, my favorite city on the planet. Very cold this week. Great buzz in Boston right now. It's a very strange time in Boston sports. The Red Sox have a really, really good team. They really did a nice job. I'm, I'm actually fired up. The uh, the lineup they added J.D. Martinez, Bogarts, who went out recently, who was hurt last year, um, but was healthy before he he uh, cracked a little thing in his ankle. He's back soon, but looked like a different guy this year. And the top to bottom lineup now is ridiculous. So you have that. They have two starters that look like they're going to be good game one, game two starters in a playoff series. Chris Sale and Rick Porcello, who's who's back, who's figured out whatever was wrong with them last year. David Price, I don't know what to make of him. He looks great. Then he can barely make it to the second inning in a Yankee game. And then uh, Eduardo Rodriguez, who I have the highest hopes for uh, as their number three guy. I, th- I think if he can just stay healthy, I think he's really good. They have good arms in the bullpen this year. And a great closer, and it's just a good team. And they're in. If Mookie can really put it together this year, three homers last night. Um, I think this team, this team could make some noise. Unfortunately, they're playing in the American League with the Astros, um, who look like they're going to go 137 and 25 or something. But this looks like a really good Red Sox team. The reason I bring this up is this is the first time that I can remember. I, I, you'd almost have to go back to like the year 2000 where the Patriots have the bleakest future of any of the four Boston sports teams. And I don't even know how bleak that future is because they made the Super Bowl last year and, and really had a legitimate chance to win that game in the fourth quarter and led with 10 minutes. So it's not, it's not like the team has completely fallen apart, but you know, the Bruins, this is a really good Bruins team. I don't talk a lot about hockey. I don't tweet about hockey. All the hockey people are crazy. I I know what's going on. I watch them, but I, I, I'm i not going to give you my expert opinion on the Bruins because I, I think it's really hard to know anything about hockey unless you're living and breathing it. It's a really good, talented Bruins team that can score and has a good goalie. And they have a chance to win the cup. They, they are in the mix. So you take that, you take what's going on with the Red Sox, and you take the Celtics season where – they lose Kyrie Irving with 20 games to go in the season, basically. They lost Hayward five minutes in the season. They lost Marcus Smart, who, um, you know, I don't, he's probably the fourth best player in the team and kind of the backup playmaker slash creator for what they had. They lose all these guys. They're up 2 nothing in a series. Next year, everybody's coming back. The East is a lot worse. The only team that's really going to be noticeably probably more dangerous next year is Philadelphia just because they'll be a year older and that team's going to be really good. And it really looks like it's going to be Philadelphia versus Boston the next few years here. And that's before you factor in, they have the Sacramento Kings pick next season, probably uh, the Celtics, which could be in the top five. So future incredibly bright for them. And then you go to the Patriots story comes out today about Tom Brady, where Allegedly, he has not made up his mind yet, reportedly. Adam Schefter, who's usually right on this stuff, is reporting that Brady doesn't know if he's going to play this year. And this is the culmination of something that really started last, I don't know, before before round one of the playoffs. ESPN wrote a big piece about Brady versus Bledsoe versus Kraft, or Brady versus uh, Kraft versus Belichick and real dissension and Kraft telling Belichick 
basically that he had to trade Garoppolo and that there was no way that, that, that they were doing a transition plan from Brady to Garoppolo, all this stuff. I wrote a piece about it at the time. I still find it hard to believe that Kraft at his advanced age is ordering Bill Belichick around. I do not, it, it does not add up to anything that's really happened during the course of the Belichick era, but there are unanswered questions. There really are. There, it's something that I have not heard the right theory about this other than this is starting to fall apart. I didn't want to believe it last year. I didn't want to believe it during the playoffs. Didn't want to believe it after the playoffs. But when you think about Brady and Gronk, they seem to be aligned. Alex Guerrero is super important to both of them. Belichick doesn't want Guerrero around anymore. So they're they're battling about that. Brady and Belichick have worked together now for two decades, and it's it's never been the easiest marriage, I don't think. I think a ton of respect, a ton of professional respect, obviously. They love they've loved all the winning and everything, and they've gotten along great. There really hasn't been any riffs. But I do think they're different people. And Belichick is cutthroat and he's been cutthroat for 20 years. And when when he thinks you're done, you're out. And he's usually cut and bait a year before anybody would even think to do it. He's done this over and over and over again. He did it with Bledsoe uh, when he gave Brady the job. He did it with Laura Malloy. He did it with Ty Law. He waved Trey Brown. He traded Deion Branch. He traded Richard Seymour. He's over and over again cut bait. And with guys that were great patriots. And the question as you watch this stuff with Belichick was always, when he's doing this, how does it affect the people in the locker room? Why are they so loyal to the Patriot way? Why do they believe in this program so much when they know as soon as they don't become as useful to Belichick, he's going to gut them. He's going to shank them. That part I never totally understood. And this is the first time in two decades where it seems like there's resentment for the Patriot way a little bit for we do all this for you. And yet the first chance you have to cut us loose, you will. That the players feel that way. Amendola, the stuff that he said to Mike Reese, where where just talking about how the players were like legitimately bummed out about the Malcolm Butler thing and how that was handled in the Super Bowl and that they felt like that. Basically, the implication was, we don't know what happened. He owed us an explanation and that probably cost us the Super Bowl and we haven't heard anything and we still don't know what happened. That's stuff you just really haven't heard that much with the Patriots over the years. So it's a complicated situation. And then on top of it, they trade Garoppolo. Brady at, you know, going to be 42 next season. I think it's, I think we can say pretty safely that he had concussions two years in a row in the playoffs. He definitely had one in the uh, Atlanta Super Bowl because his wife spilled the beans on that one. And I've always heard that he had one in the Denver game the year before. And it certainly would explain like how strange his play was in that game. But um, the word on the street was always that he got one in that game too early in the game. And Lord knows how many other concussions he had. And I think it's something that his family's worried about at this point, especially he's won five rings. He's made a crazy amount of money. And I watched the uh, Tom versus time, which had its ups and its downs. It had some good moments. I thought the second episode in particular was great. I really liked it. I think if you're a Pats fan, it's at least worth watching the first two, maybe even the worst first three. But the last episode leaves it kind of open for Brady to walk away. And and I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast before, but watching it, you're like, what the hell? What are you talking about? Maybe it's time to, maybe this is it. 
man, I don't know. Maybe it's time for me to be with my, all the stuff he says, he leaves the door open. It was really hard to tell whether he's doing it for dramatic purposes or whether he really thinks he doesn't want to play anymore. And from what I've heard, his wife definitely doesn't want him to play anymore and doesn't understand it and thinks he's too obsessed with football and we should, you've made enough, you've won all these Super Bowls, it's time, you know, get out now while, while your body's still healthy, all that stuff. And if he has other people in his life, like his parents and things like that, and maybe some of his friends, like maybe he is thinking about it. And I think, you know, Schefter wrote today that he wasn't sure if he was, or tweeted today that he wasn't sure if Brady's coming back. I, in my opinion... I think Brady's watching what they're going to do with this draft really carefully because they got rid of Malcolm Butler. They traded Brandon cooks. They got rid of uh, Nate Solder. They got rid of a couple of uh, Deion Lewis is gone. You know, they, they definitely lost some guys. They, they lost more guys than they added. And there's a scenario where they just start rebuilding during the draft where they, they have two firsts and two seconds and there's a scenario where they just say, all right, man. Or Belichick says, hey, they told me to trade Garoppolo and I need another quarterback long-term if I'm going to be here and Brady's going to stay for, not going to stay forever. I'm not sold on him playing a couple more years. I'm just going to start rebuilding now. I want to make one more run at this before I turn 75. And if Brady thinks that they're actually rebuilding, Maybe that's what he's waiting for. I don't know for sure. Um, just the theory. And maybe it's a little cat and mouse game. Like, hey, we have all these picks. Use this for immediate help. Use these for um, guys who can play next year. I want to win a title. I, I threw for 505 in the Super Bowl last year and we almost won. So, man, I, I hate admitting it, but it really does feel like there's smoke and fire now. And it really does seem contentious and the, the way Gronk and Brady are leaving everything up in the air, it seems like they're in a staring contest with Belichick. And uh, I'll be interested to see how this plays out. But going back to my original premise, for the first time, I would say since 2000, the Patriots, the bleakest future in Boston sports. Wow. Uh, one last thing. I had such a good time at the Celtics game last night. Great crowd. Great seeing everybody. Great to be home. Uh, everybody's really nice when I come back. Thanks to everybody who yells out or comes or talks or all that stuff. It's always great to hear from, uh, from everybody. Thanks for all the nice words about the ringer, all that stuff coming up. We have my friend, the ringers, Shea Serrano. We're going to talk Kawhi and we're going to talk about action movies. Well, first let's talk about clear. I've been using it for flights this year. It's been absolutely incredible. Clear uses biometrics to help you bypass the long lines and get through security about five minutes. It's like your own personal security line, create your account online before going to the airport, then finish enrolling when you get there with the help of a clear ambassador. Use the clear lands immediately. It works great with pre-check too. I use them in tandem. I can get to the line immediately. It's in some of the busiest airports in the country, LA, New York, San Francisco, Atlanta, Vegas, many more. It's the best way to get through airport security. Here's why I'm telling you this. I started using clear in 2018. I already had TSA pre-check. And as I was like, what do I need clear for? Um, they sponsored something on this podcast and offered me a subscription. Hey, try it out. You'll love it. I tried it out. It's great. You All you have to do is it's easy to sign up. And then when you go to the airport, the last thing you have to do is get fingerprinted. And once you have that, you go to that little clear line next to the pre-check. You walk over, you show them your boarding pass. You put your two fingers on the fingerprint scanner. 
you look into a, an eye scanner for one second and boom, you're on and they move you to the front of the line. And it really does save time. I do think it's worth it. The cool thing is right now, listeners of my show can get their first three months of clear for free. So you can try it out yourself. Then you, you know, go to clearme.com slash bill. That is clearme.com slash bill for your first three months of clear and see for yourself. I think it's a pretty cool product. Anyway, here's Shea Serrano. All right. On the phone from a remote location in Texas, undisclosed, almost like an action movie hero. Our man, Shea Serrano. How are you? I'm good. I'm on the hunt for Kauai. That's a, that's why you don't know where I am. Yeah, we're going to talk about action movies, but I want to talk about Kawhi Leonard first because I we House and I discussed this on the BS podcast yesterday. Uh, more information has come out in the last 24 hours since we discussed that about that he's uh, reportedly not even responding to texts and emails anymore. What is it like? You're you're a lifelong Spurs fan. What's it like watching this unfold? And what the hell do you think is happening? It has been. Uh... I don't know why we got to start with this one. It's been bad. It's been hard to to watch happen. Nothing like this has ever happened with the Spurs, ever. This would be like if all of a sudden Greg Popovich just started saying a bunch of racist things. Like That's how unexpected something like this was ha- to happen. So I don't know how to deal with it. I don't know what to do or what to say. It's It's bad, though. Do you think he's on the team next year? Um... I want to say yes, just because I don't want to jinx it, but it doesn't feel like, I don't understand why he's not with the team. That's the part right now that makes me think, okay, this is kind of over. Like he's just not, you're just not going to go to the game. You're going to be in a whole other part of the country. Feels bad. That feels like a bad sign. Yeah. It feels like there's been a breach. It feels like whether, whether he's to blame or the team's to blame or both, both sides or whatever, that now that now there's more stuff going on because house and I talked about it yesterday house made the theory that maybe he feels like his rehab has to happen in New York and he doesn't want to mess it up. And he's really worried about his leg and he just doesn't want to ruin whatever progress he's making. But I, I just, I can't imagine what machine they have in New York that they wouldn't be able to get in San Francisco or San Antonio, you know? There's, there's no way that it's because he's worried about the rehab at this point. If that was the case, it's not that hard to, to record a video like, hey, look, I'm in New York. I'm fine. Go Spurs, go. And then that's it. It takes five seconds. But it feels bad, Bill. It feels real bad. Yeah, and we've seen this happen before with athletes who are recovering from injuries and they're not happy for whatever reason. But they've, they've always kind of kept the fans in the loop a little bit. And especially with social media these days, it's pretty easy to just send out one, you know, one inch. I don't yeah. even know if he's on Instagram. I don't even know if he's on social, but one thing like, Hey Spurs fans, it's Kawhi. I just want to say, I love you guys. Um, <laughs> I'm working hard to get back. I hope I can be back at some point this season, but he's, he's shut out everybody. And it's really strange. I, it's certainly not something that we're used to with the Spurs. You know, it's, it's, it always felt like a family. And it's the first time yeah, it's really felt messed up. I, I don't know what to do or say. I mean, Gordon Hayward is showing up to every Celtics game and giving a twelve minute speech at halftime. Right. And we can't get one two we can't get one ten second video from Kawhi. Like this is super duper sucky. Do you do you feel like uh it's cause I'm starting to deal with this too with the Patriots? Like 
you know, you know, the end is coming at some point. You don't know what year it is. You had a great run. You can't complain about anything. I mean, and I could be talking about the Patriots or the Spurs right now. Um, but at some point it's going to, at some point it's going to end and you start almost becoming wistful about, Oh man, I should have appreciated this more or that much more, but it's when it ends, it ends fast. And I feel like we're both in the same situation as fans where you can kind of see the finish line now. And it's a little scary. Yeah, I thought I was going to be, I don't know, I guess I'll just use wistful again. I thought I was going to be most wistful about, like, oh, the Spurs aren't winning championships for a while, but it turns out I just want a guy to play in one game. And that's, <laughs> right. that's an unexpected twist. What, what else is, there was an article, I think it was in the Washington Post, about Spurs fans in Texas having trouble dealing with Popovich and how political he's gotten <laughs> and stuff like that. Was there any anything to that? Is that a thing in Texas? That's a that's a thing in Texas um, among the one percent Spurs fans. Okay, and that's it. Like there there are forty five people in San Antonio who are very rich and upset that Popovich <laughs> right. things like that. <laughs> but but the rest of us are are we are very pro pro pop. Is it is it possible the Spurs are more dysfunctional than? Then we kind of, we always think, oh man, they say everything seems so stable, all that stuff. But then when you go backwards, there's been some weird stuff with the Spurs, right? Like Tony Parker, Brent Barry, that was weird. Steven Jackson getting shit canned a week before the playoffs started that one year. That was weird. The Richard Jefferson thing, that was always weird. The Marcus wanted to get traded last year. Is it possible that they're just the average NBA team, but we don't think of them that way? Yes, that's exactly what's going on. We are just better at keeping secrets. Is all that it is. You might That's be. All. It's it, it it does seem like they when things happen, if they had happened on like the Knicks, it would have been five times a bigger deal. Like that Tony Parker thing, that would that should have been a massive deal. It was just kind of pushed under the rug and everybody kind of ignored it. And I, and that never yeah, happens that, in that sports. Should have, that should have torn the team apart. Yeah. Is what it should have done. If that happens, if that's like Derek Fisher, right. it's a wrap. For the for the 2002 Los Angeles Lakers, what? Uh, how much blame do you give Zaza? A hundred percent. I don't even know what you're referencing, but I blame Zaza. 100%. You just you blame blind blaming of Zaza. Yeah, because whatever is wrong. I did some investigating yesterday, and I talked to a couple uh, little birdies I have around the league, and the what people within the league, what people seem to think is happening is a combination of Kawhi's family and friends, like basically being like, you know, you should be bigger than you are. You can't rush back for them to see you have one chance to sign a giant contract, all the stuff that's easy to figure out. But then there's another piece that I've heard a couple times now, so I don't mind mentioning it. Um, that he just doesn't feel like his leg is healthy and whether it's psychosomatic or whether he's feeling something that nobody else is feeling, but he's, he's become kind of obsessed with, it doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel right. You can't tell me it feels right. It doesn't. And that, that might be this whole thing that he just disagrees with the doctors and that's it. And it can't be fixed until he feels right. Yeah. That seems like a, a very real possibility because that does happen like you can convince yourself that your ankle hurts or your or there's a splinter in your finger and you don't see it and there's no 
evidence, but you feel it, and nobody can tell you other. I would get that. I would 100% believe that that happened. I would 100% believe that it was Kawhi that it would happen to, and it's just weird that he doesn't have a way to like explain this to people because that's just not who he is. That would make a 100% sense. And then also, he's got to be thinking about that. He's got to be thinking about Isaiah costing himself a hundred something million dollars yeah. trying to be like, you know, playing through a thing. Like I wouldn't come back. I wouldn't come back at all. I would wait. If I felt even 5% not correct, there's no way I'm risking $200 million if I'm Kawhi. We talked about house and I talked about yesterday about whether Isaiah becomes kind of a watershed moment for this situation because he, he unquestionably cost himself over a hundred million dollars. He played when he was hurt. The injury was misdiagnosed. He played through pain. He did all the stuff that people like us go, that's a warrior, man. That, 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 that guy, all he cares about is the team. Yeah. He's great. And then all of a sudden that guy's making $5 million next year instead of 30. And I wonder from this point on, whether athletes are just going to be more caught. Like he, he becomes the example they point to, you know, like, Oh, I don't want to end up like that dude. I really think that's yeah. going to change how people think about this stuff going forward. Yeah, it's that. Plus, it's the whole the players have been grabbing more and more control of their of their destiny, for lack of a better word. They have been making that a priority, and then now you have the Isaiah thing. And yeah, it's all coming together. Like this is just what's going to happen now. And I don't have a problem with it. I just can. Can you send a text, Kawhi? That's all. We need. <laughs> right. There is. You know, 40 years ago, Bill Walton, they win the 77 title. And I think they're 15, 15, eight or something the next year. And he, he goes down with, with a foot injury and they don't really know what it is. He comes, he tries to come back for the playoffs. They shoot up his foot with a whole bunch of painkillers. So he doesn't feel the pain. The foot's just bothering him. And they shoot up his foot. He ends up playing. He makes it worse. And he basically derails his entire career. He's never the same. He ends up suing the Blazers. He goes to the Clippers. That's a disaster. The whole thing is covered in, in uh, Breaks of the Game by David Halberstam, which is still the best sports book any, anybody's ever written, including both of us. Um, but it, but this was this is the all-time example of somebody going, no, 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 my body doesn't feel right. And the doctor's going, you're fine. You're fine. Get back out there. And the athlete was right. And, you know, I, I guess the thing that's hard for me to understand is the whole, the, where, where the injury is that it's a quad yeah. that somebody could have a quad that's injured for this long. It's bizarre. Uh huh. This is very much John Voight talking Paul Walker into shooting up his knee in Friday night light. I mean, yeah. Varsity blues. Varsity Blues. That's what, that's what this is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, just give him a shot. He'll be fine. Don't, uh -huh. yeah, don't listen to a gimp. Um, last question <laughs> on Kawhi. What, what was the Spurs relationship, Spurs fans' relationship with him before, during, and now after the Kawhi Prime? Like, wait, like he wasn't as popular as Duncan, obviously, but would you, would you say he was on the Ginobili Parker level or was there like a lack of a connection with him? Cause he's so quiet. What was it like? No, he was, okay. Ginobili is the number one, most beloved spur in history. Wow. Over Duncan. Yeah. Over Duncan. Yeah. Wow. I, really? Duncan is, is the best of all time, of course, but just as far as cultural figures in San Antonio, Manu is first. 
by a small amount, but Manu is definitely first, and then Timmy, and then under him, you, you get the David and then Tony Parker. Like, that's the top four order right there. Kawhi is still... He just didn't have the longevity. Like, if he left tomorrow, people would put him in the list of, like, you're putting together the greatest Spurs of all time, but he would never be top five. They just... He just never got to that point. He just didn't allow it to happen. Like with Timmy, that's what the, we felt the same way in the beginning of his career, like the first 10 years or something. It felt more like a relationship you have with a very good dentist. And you're like, yeah. this is the dentist I want to use above anybody else, but I don't want to hang out with them. That's what it feels like with Kawhi. And that's where we are. He's a great dentist. Hey, every time I go, great magazines in the office. Um mm-hmm. Awesome nurses, super personable. I, I would say if you're making the top five, I think the Iceman George Gervin has to be probably ahead of yeah. Robinson would be my guess, right? He'd be number four. Yeah, if, if you're talking to older people, he's number three. Yeah, because I would then, say uh, for the for the over 40 fans, he's got to be high up the list. Cause yeah, he's, he's up there. I remember when I was doing my book and I was ranking all the dudes – I, I was astonished by how good his career was because it ended abruptly. Mm-hmm. And by the time it ended, the league was just taken off. So he, he was kind of the guy for the generation before the, he was the tape delayed finals generation, basically the cocaine generation, yeah. but he was just cranking out first team on BAs. His, his scoring was basically what Harden is doing right now, year after year. Like Gervin was in the thirties every year, incredibly fun to watch. And, I used to love him as a kid. I used to just love him. And he was never on TV. They came to Boston right. once a year. And I probably saw him play 10 times as a kid. When nowadays you think, you know, I've probably seen Drew Holiday play more in the last three weeks <laughs> than, than I did my entire childhood of George Kervin. But uh, what, yeah. what the Spurs are going to are gonna be done soon. What, what bandwagon do you see yourself jumping on for the playoffs? I'm pushing anybody but the Warriors. So whoever the Warriors are playing, that's who I'm rooting for. Any Which reason? It's going to be extremely sucky in the Western Conference Finals when they play the Rockets, and I have to cheer for the Rockets. But because they're the champions, and it's just fun to watch a champion lose. And also, they're going to beat the Spurs. And the thing that I want to avoid at all costs is I want, you know, the championship DVD that comes out at the end of the season? Yeah. I want for the Spurs to not be on the DVD. On the cover, like the guarding somebody. To, yeah, I want I want somebody else to win a championship. So like 2013, when the Heat beat the Spurs in the finals, super sucky because they were on the DVD for like 30 minutes when you watch it. <laughs> oh no, I don't want that to happen. That's why like Derek Fisher's point four shot, it doesn't matter yeah. that that much because they lost in the finals, so we didn't have to be on the DVD at the finals. That's a lost moment in NBA history for like fork in the road titles. It's probably the most ridiculous shot other than the Ray Allen shot that's won the 2013 finals. It's probably the most ridiculous shot anybody has made to basically save their season. And I still don't really think it should have counted, but I, you, you would have gone into the finals that year against Detroit in 04. You would have caught them you know, a year before you actually caught them in 05 when you beat them in 05 and Duncan was really kind of broken down by the finals. He he played so many right. minutes over that four years. I, I think you, I think you would have beaten them in 04 too. I, I don't think the we Pistons would have won. Beat them in 04. Yeah. We definitely Dun- beat them in 04. But um, yeah, that was a great one. Um, 
Yeah. One last thing, since we're talking Texas basketball, because you live in Houston and this Rockets thing, everybody has kind of talked themselves into them as a contender. And then in game one against Minnesota, they don't look great. Chris Paul almost throws the ball, almost throws the game away that would have sent it into overtime if Minnesota made a play. And kind of that, uh, that residual stuff started to surface up of, oh yeah, none of these guys have won anything, including the coach. And these guys have a storied history of not coming through. What is the mood like in Houston? Are they defiant about it or are they a slightly bit worried about this team? You know what I think the way it feels right now is that that was the best possible thing that could have happened. And, and I mean that because you've got a situation where it feels like if that was the Clippers playing and Chris Paul throws that ball away, the other team comes back and hits a three and they and the Clippers lose in overtime. You know? right. Or if James Harden has a bad game, it feels like they lose that game one. But you've got Chris Paul who says, I played a horrible game and I made a very bad decision at the end, and we still won. And that's got to feel very refreshing to him to where he knows he can make a mistake and James is there. Or James knows he can make a mistake and Chris is there. Like, they feel good about it right now. That's what it feels like talking to people in Houston. You go, like, they're seeing right now that they don't have to do everything 100% perfect 100% of the time to win a championship. That's what it felt like after game one. So Chris Paul's learned a valuable lesson that he can choke and the team can still win. Yes. That's That's good. That's a step up for him. Uh, Harden is (laughs) remarkable. I know you hate the Rockets. Where where is Harden rising up the rankings for you? Where do you have him? And, and like NBA players, yeah, like guys right now. Like because you're still you're, you're still a LeBron believer. Like when the chips are down, that that's the guy you, you'd want. But where? But is he is he on the corner? Is he headed Durant? Where do you have him? He's number three right now for me. It's LeBron Durant because the way that he's been playing against the Spurs is stupid. And then Harden. So yeah. that's why the West of the conference. Like if, if if Harden wins the championship this year and finals MVP, he becomes the default number one guy now, which would be an incredible thing to have happen over, you know, picture three years ago, we're talking about that. There's no way. And then here we are. He's looking at it. It's right in front of him. He can do it this year. He'd become the best player in the NBA on planet Earth. That could be James Harden in July. That's what we're looking at, which is horrible. And and I think the, there's some top four guards ever stuff at stake. There's a lot of historical stuff at stake, too, because his statistical resume this decade is ludicrous. And I, I think he's only 27 or 28. He might be maybe 28. I don't know. But at this point, it's Drew Holiday's league, and we're all living with it. I You haven't jumped on the Pelicans bandwagon a little bit? Yeah, I, I really like the Pelicans. I watched them last night. I it feels like you let James, I mean, not James, you let Anthony Davis win a playoff game. And then he goes, oh, fuck, this is, this is kind of great. Let's keep doing yeah, this. I like and this. Now they're, now they're trouble. Yeah. Um, do you think LeBron is underrated, overrated, or properly rated? I think LeBron is underrated. Okay. Why? I think, I think if you get to a spot where you are not talking about the greatest basketball player of all time, like he, there's no way you can't make that argument now, but people are still putting him like fourth or fifth of all time. Like that's crazy to me. I think LeBron is underrated because if you put him at anywhere under second in the history of the world, then he's underrated. I have him third. 
Here's why. I have a third too. Okay. Um, <laughs> I just fit the Russell 11 and 13. And as the years go by and the stats get better and they start, well, he did score or he did do this. It's just like, just, I, I trust the accounts of the people who were there. I think it's really important. Uh-huh. And I know when I wrote my book, it's, there's barely any footage. And I really, I went back, I read every book that anybody ever wrote about basketball um, 50s, 60s, a little bit after all the different quotes, the stuff that was in sport magazine and stuff like that. And people just revered Russell. It's the same way like we felt about Tiger Woods as a golfer last decade, you know, or people are just like, that guy's amazing. You're, you're not winning a game seven if he's on the other team. And just the reverence that everybody had for how dominant he was and what a great teammate he was and all that stuff. Um, that's the stuff that fades as, as, uh, as you know, as guys get older, as fans get older, things like that. I think the thing I'm going to remember about LeBron and I think history will remember him fondly for this. And I think, you know, it's something that the stat, like somebody 50 years from now could look at LeBron's body work and, and get it in a better way that maybe we would get it with somebody like Russell is just how fucking consistent he was and how just, he just, his inability to get injured ever and his ability to just, just keep, just take a pounding year after year. And it never really seemed to affect him that much. You know, all of his issues were more mental than physical. Um, and, and like if he didn't have the right team and he'd get frustrated or a couple of times he would just get like the 2011 finals, he just would melt down, but it was never physical. And I, I don't, the only other guy I can really think of is Carl Malone who was just this consistent year after year after year, where at some point you're like, man, this guy's just different, you know? And I think whatever, that would be the one whatever, thing I remember. Whenever you're putting together your list like this, are you, how are you doing this? Are you saying, okay, we're only comparing players in the era that they played, or are you saying just across all eras? Like if we, if we switched Bill Russell and LeBron James, like, are you doing that in your head? Or are you just going, no, only I'm only, talking about Bill Russell with regards to the Bill Russell era. Yeah, I think for me, I mean, there's no right answer to this. And I know, I know it's something that you're, you're a little anti-ranking guys from different eras. And I don't love it either because I just don't think there's any way to compare basketball in 1966 to basketball now. It's ridiculous. But I think you have to look at how far ahead the guy was in his era compared to, you know, somebody now. And the body work and the consistency. And also like if you're just starting a team from scratch and you could have this person's entire career, would you want that versus somebody else's entire career? Like that was for me, the toughest one was who's, who's higher magic or bird. And I ended up picking magic because magic just played three more years. He had three more good years basically. So if I get magic, I get 12 years. So yeah, I think that's the case for LeBron against Jordan. Like if he does this for 20 years, you really have to start going, well, would I rather have 13 years of Jordan or 20 years of LeBron? What would I rather have? You know, and that becomes right. the argument. So what do you look that's at? Fair. Uh, you know, I, I drop them into the different eras, which is I think unfair to the older guys just because yeah. of how advanced everything is now. Like if you put LeBron in 1962, that's, you're putting a tornado in the middle of fucking Target is what you're doing. He's just destroying everything. Um, yeah. But Bill Bill was so far ahead, like you mentioned. He was so good. If he could play in today's NBA, no problem, it feels like, which is a, a crazy thing to say or think about. But 
Yeah. Well, I, don't know. I was we thinking back and forth about what to do. Well, and especially now, the last couple of years at the league, that just the guy, the way guys play is just so inherently different. I was at the Bucks Celtics game last night, and just watching how guys, instead of in the old days, their instinct was, "Oh, we have a three on two. Oh, we have a two on one. I'm going to try to get a layup." And now they veer out to the to three point line. And that's just how we play now. And so much of it is geared around, can we get a good three? Can we get an open three? All the slash and kick stuff. And uh, and I, when you watch a game from the 80s now, it almost doesn't feel like the same sport. It really doesn't. Yeah. You watch you watch like the Philadelphia-Boston 1981 Eastern Finals, and it's like it, it feels like Vince McMahon created this <laughs> crazy physical sport with tall guys. But you know what's funny about last night with Boston and Milwaukee? Like, because Stevens is a genius, as you know, he goes Billy Ball old school and starts pounding them down low with Monroe and Horford and really trying to take advantage of Milwaukee's lack of size. And it worked. And I'm watching yeah. it going, wow, there's, there's still a place for this. So when we talk about guys like, oh, like the dumbest argument is, oh, yeah, if Shaq played now, how would, where would you play him? I mean, how could you, you just you just get shooters out there and shoot them off the floor. It's like, no, it's actually, it would be the opposite. Shaq would do whatever the uh -huh. fuck he wanted. Um, so I don't know. There's some guys from the, I've talked about this before on pods, but there's some guys in the past that I actually think would have been better off in this era. And then other guys who were probably in, uh, in the right era, like somebody like Robinson would have been ludicrous. You took 1992 David Robinson and put him now. Right. And this like the way basketball is played. Oh my God. It would have been crazy. Yeah, he would have been great. Shaq would have been on. Shaq would have averaged forty-eight points a game if you played him <laughs> in the NBA. Today. How would we? Like, how would a team like Milwaukee have stopped Shaq with John Henson? Like, get out yeah, of here! Exactly. Exactly. Um, you've monitored the uh, disrespectful corner for us for a long time, and I was wondering. We were only six days in. Is there anything you've seen more disrespectful than than Eric Butso? Pretending that he didn't know what Terry Rogier's name was after he got his ass kicked by Terry Rogier last night. <laughs> no, that was great. I think, I think that that one doesn't count as disrespectful because he is just getting beat. You can't be the guy, the disrespectful guy, when you're the one who's losing. It just oh, that's work. a good point. You're off, right. You yeah, know, you're right. It comes off backward. I think the most disrespectful thing we've seen in the playoffs so far is Drake calling Kelly Oubre a bum in the middle of the game. And it happened uh, during the Wizards game last night. He's running down the court, Drake courtside in Toronto, as usual, stands up very clearly in Kelly's ear as he's running by, just calls him a bum. He just screams a bum at him. Wow. It's fantastic. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, we haven't had like the, we haven't had like the ridiculous dunk or block yet. Drew Holiday had a really good dunk last night, but it wasn't a hundred percent over somebody, but he had this great lefty in traffic slam in the first quarter. But I still feel right. like, I my number one candidate. If we had to rank, like who's most likely to have the disrespectful dunk moment in uh in round one, I would say Davis because Davis just seems like he's intent on dunking on everybody at all times, and he's just waiting for his victim. It's kind of like a serial killer right now. He's, he's yeah, perusing yeah, yeah, the yeah. streets. I, the, the thing I liked about the about the Drew Holiday dunk last night is he he dunked on Nurkic, right? Yep. Okay, so that was a. Anthony Davis tried to dunk before then. He was near the rim, and, and Nurkic sort of shut him off. And, and you know, I think he might have blocked the shot or you know bobbled the ball or something. So 
you've got that, and then Davis passes it to to uh, Drew, and it's like you ca- he, he calls in backup or reinforcement. He's like, you, you stop me, stop this guy, and then fucking boom, right in your face. It was, it was wonderful. I I thought Drew. I th- I just think he's been a revelation. I I honestly, th- I tweeted this last night. I didn't know he had this in him. I knew he had had trouble staying on the court. I knew he had upside. He seemed like one of those guys that when he's playing is above average, but has some durability issues and can go in little funks and stuff. But once they moved him to the off guard, basically with Rondo, so something's happened to him this year. The the ferocity that he was playing with last night, the thing I liked was him and Rondo really genuinely seemed to believe that they were better than Portland's backcourt. You know, they were carrying themselves <laughs> more confidently and differently, like really taking it to those guys and fighting for everything. And, uh, I think Portland's in a world of trouble. Uh, We're going to take a break, then we're going to talk about action movies. Hey, with the Google Assistant, you can complete over a million actions on your phone, in your car, around the house. For instance, hey, Google, book me a table for four at Major Domo. Sounds good. Let's make a reservation with OpenTable for four people at Major Domo. Wow. You better get in on Google Assistant right now while I have the chance because... It is getting linked up with anything and everything. I feel like in a couple of years, you're just going to be walking into an ATM going, hey, Google, hey, Google, take money out for me. Hey, Google, will you feed me? Uh, it is going to be all over the place. It's going to be attached to your car. Lord only knows what they're up to. The Google Assistant, it's really great. It's awesome. It will answer any question you have. It'll tell you what time it is, weather, uh, whatever you want. Download the Google Assistant right now. Back to Shay. All right, we're back. The only person, so just some background for the listeners. Um, I love, I love renting all movies, especially uh, action movies and thrillers, and especially like when I see like Liam Neeson on a train, I'm just in. I don't need to know anything more. I just see the train. <laughs> He's concerned. I'm like, that's it. I don't need to see a trailer. Uh, the only person I know who probably loves these movies more than I do is our friend Shay Serrano, and we thought we thought we would go over basically the last two years of action movies, because look, there's a lot of people like us. Shay has three kids. I have two. I have three dogs. We're home on Friday nights. We're looking for stuff. We're looking for stuff to watch. We, we, Shay and I both treasure the 11 to 1 AM hour when everybody's asleep. (laughs) That's when we can sneak in that one last bad movie that maybe our wife doesn't want to watch. And we just have a lot of opinions on stuff. So what we thought we would do is we're going to play a, a game that I, is basically like the price is right crossed with on demand where there's certain movies where it's like John Wick two is on demand and there's like this two week window before it goes on the actual, you can just pay-per-view it for 48 hours where Amazon will have it or Apple and they'll make you pay the full price. They kind of test you. They stare at you. They play a game of chicken. Like, do you want to wait two more weeks for this to just become available for five ninety nine, or do you want it so badly you're going to have to have it right now for fourteen ninety nine or nineteen ninety nine? And that's when they really Shay. How many times do you fall victim to that? Every time. Okay. Literally so every time. They eyeball you. Like the the uh, the commuter was on. I missed it in the theater. They release it on Apple and Amazon, all that stuff. And they're just eyeballing me with it. They're like, you know, you want it. You know, you want it. You know, you don't want to wait the two weeks. (laughs) And needless to say, it took me two seconds to order it. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of these action movies. This is a combination recommendation slash um, what we would have paid, how high the price could have gone before we blinked, which I think is a really interesting game. For instance, John Wick 2, if that's on Amazon, I, I, I don't know what my blink price would have been, but it would have been triple digits, right? It would have been, I don't know, maybe 100, 110. What would it have been for you? I can get to forty nine ninety nine for John Wick. Forty nine ninety nine, okay. Now I can get there. Let me ask you this. John Wick three is coming out. It's coming out in the theater, but they decide we're gonna on demand this too, and it's ninety nine ninety nine. New release, John Wick three. Get this in your house right now. You don't have to leave your house. You can watch it with with uh both your boys, whatever you want to do. What what would you pay? How high would you go for that? <laughs> Yeah, I would. I could hit ninety nine, ninety nine for a John Wick movie I've not seen yet. Right. The, the only reason I pay forty nine, ninety nine for John Wick two is because you can watch some of the scenes on YouTube, but they're always better in context. So yeah, like when you want to watch the the subway shootout with him in common when they had the silencers and they're going at each other, that's fun to watch on YouTube on a Tuesday morning. But yeah. if you watch all the way up into it, it's just better. So. Forty nine ninety nine John Wick two ninety nine ninety nine John Wick three for sure. I think Common's career has been really funny. Where on the one hand he's in John Wick two and he has like one of the great stretches in recent action movie history with Keanu, really great, like mm-hmm. really taught the the stuff coming out of uh, after Keanu convinces the lady to kill herself in the bathtub. Uh, the the little game they play getting out of that nightclub and shooting each other and then the subway, all that stuff. It's otherworldly. But yet at the same time, he's the guy who has reinvented himself in award shows as Saturday Saturday Night Live called him like the Dr. Seuss of hip hop, where these these socially aware, like kind of pseudo hip hop things that he does that he's made a career in that too. But at the same time, he's on the subway trying to shoot John Wick. I don't know what's going on with Common. I'm kind of enjoying it though. He's claiming a lot of corners. Uh, All right. First one. The the good thing about Common, you're either going to get like, that fight scene he has with John Wick when they end up busting through the in the Continental, one of the best fight scenes of the last ten years in a movie. Yeah. So you're either getting that or you're getting a fucking a spoken word poem about civil rights. You're right. One of those two things. That's all that's gonna happen. It's those are his two lanes right now. Uh, all right, the commuter. <laughs> Let's start with the commuter. I, uh, you know, I probably would have gone. Not knowing anything, I probably would have gone into the thirty dollar range for this on a Friday night if I was desperate. It uh, it made me realize I kind of have Liam Neeson season tickets. I always talk about season tickets for actors, <laughs> and where it's like the the season ticket representatives calling me, being like, "Hello, your Liam Neeson season tickets are up in April. Would you like to renew?" I'm like, "Yes, please charge. Just charge my account." Uh, I don't know how long how much longer he has though, because it, I think he's like kind of secretly 64. I don't know how long he can keep doing fight scenes or how long that's going to age. I did not love the computer. I didn't think it was very good. And yet I loved it because I love all terrible action movies. Uh, I give it a solid eight out of 10, even though it's probably a three out of 10. What were your thoughts on the commuter? I feel the same way. That's a good call on his, he mentions it in the movie when he gets fired. He's like, I'm 60 years of age. He's telling the yeah. the boss. He's actually 65 in real life. So they did a good job there. Of, they do those super quick cuts. And yeah. Like they move the camera and vibrate the camera to make everything seem a little more violent. Um, but as far as the commuter goes, I, 
put Liam Neeson on any form of transportation. Yeah. And I'm going to watch it. I will pay. I will get into the 30. I would have paid 34.99 to watch the commuter if I'd not seen it in the movies already. Right. I I will say on on the subject of Liam Neeson. I think Taken 2 has slipped through the cracks of history. I I am a complete believer in Taken 2. I think it's really good. I think in in some ways it's better than Taken 1. I What? I, it, no, in some ways. I'm not saying it's better. <laughs> Okay. It has way. some, it has some really good stretches. It really like when uh when he when his daughter, she's trying to locate him because Liam Neeson he can close his eyes in a car after he's been kidnapped and remember all the sounds on the, on the way to uh-huh. the to uh-huh. being uh to being held hostage, and then can tell his daughter like go to the bell, go if you when you hear the noise take a left, and uh and then she's. <laughs> And then his daughter, who's completely terrified and useless in, in Taken 1, is now jumping buildings like Vin Diesel in Taken 2, just hopping right. from building to building to go find him. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It's dumber and more ridiculous than Taken 1. Taken 1 is just great from start to finish. Taken 2 is more like kind of campy, but I really yeah. like them. I think that's a great, the one-two combo of that is really good. You're not as high in Taken 2. I don't, I don't like it a whole, whole bunch. No, I, you know really, I'm stunned. Tell me why. When the first one happened, I need for it to be at least. If you're going to present yourself as a serious movie, I need for it to be at least a little bit believable. I can get behind. A daughter goes to Europe and she gets kidnapped, and now you yeah. got to go get her. I get that, but like it happens again, and then again, like it, at some point, you got to be like, you know what? There's just we're not going on any more trips. We're going to hang out at the house. And we're not going to get kidnapped anymore. I just couldn't get there with it. Also, I think that's the one when he jumps a fence for like ten minutes straight. It just fence, 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 quick shot, <laughs> fence, fence. Like, okay, I get it. Taken so three is bad. Taken three is bad. You know, it's a fun thing to talk about. I was talking about this maybe like a week ago with my wife. We were watching uh, Run All Night, which is another Liam Neeson action movie. He plays a guy yeah, named, uh, Jimmy it's not great. Conlin, I think. Yeah, um, not great. Is is Liam Neeson a good dad or a bad dad? Because all of his kids, terrible shit seems to happen to them. And I just don't, I don't know. It's hard to talk, to figure out if he's a good dad or a bad dad. Yeah, you know, first of all, great question. I love I love how you're thinking with this. I would say uh, a loving dad, but kind of an incompetent dad yeah. would be where I would go with that. And I do think this point doesn't get made enough. I think Taken is one of the best father-daughter movies that's ever happened. You don't, you're not, you you have all sons. You're not going to understand. There's lessons with da- with this where if you don't listen to your dad and if you tell him a white lie, you might get kidnapped and potentially get thrown into a prostitution <laughs> drug ring, and your whole life will get ruined if you lie to your father. That's really the lesson of that movie. Don't lie to your father. You- <laughs> she goes to France. That's how you present it. Yeah, she tells him like, "Oh, we're staying with our friends and we're going to Utah." But no, he, he she's basically staying in this uh, crazy place, with just her and her friend. They're like seventeen. It's insane. I'm not saying she deserved to get kidnapped, but I I do think we all learned a valuable lesson about telling the truth to your father. Shot caller, we both loved. I shot caller in oh, the moment. Fun. Yeah, in the moment, I I I I would say you know typical six ninety nine seven ninety nine. But if I could take the knowledge I have now and go backwards and with like the right level of you have to see this movie, 
I'm easily I'm drifting to the 39 49 range, right? Uh easy. I would pay I would pay up to $40 to watch it right now. Like just I would get off the phone with you to go watch Shot Caller right now <laughs> for 40, I would, and I would happily pay $40. It's a it's an unbelievable movie. Like they just stripped away every single thing. I think that's what I like so much about Shot Caller. They made Shot Caller feel like you're in a prison cell for the whole movie. Like, there's no extra stuff. They're like, yeah. these are the things that are happening. Here's why they're happening. And you think you know everything, and you're like, oh, well, wait, why is he putting this? Why does he have this chapstick? Why is he doing this? And it all right. comes together at the end, and you go, oh, fuck, I had no idea what was happening all the time. Unbelievable. And uh, Jamie Lannister with a career career performance. Game, Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones. Didn't know he had yeah. this in him. He really... It's a top three prison movie. I don't know. This is probably another podcast, but in Blood In, Blood Out, is that, are we counting that as a prison movie or is it bigger than a prison movie? That's a prison movie. Blood In, Blood okay. Out is a prison movie. That's the number one prison movie of all time. Because I would say if we broke down prison scenes versus non-prison scenes, it's probably about 35% of the movie. It's a little more than that because Miko is the star of the movie. Right. And he spends a lot of his time in prison. It's probably closer to forty five percent, I would guess. See, the a lot of the a lot of the listeners out there don't know what we're talking about because and I haven't even told you this. I made a deal with all the cable companies when we hired you for Grantland four years ago to never show Blood In, Blood Out again because I wanted you to be okay. productive. I told them, I told <laughs> HBO, Cinemax, Showtime, the movie channel, TNT, all of them. I was like, you can never show this movie again. I think Shay has a chance to have a really great career. And if this is on HBO two at 11 at night, I, we just lose him. He's not going to write anything. Um, yeah. All right. So kidnap. Did you see this one with Halle Berry? Uh, that's the one where she's driving the car real fast. I did not see that one. I only watched the trailer. Oh, well, first of all, did you watch it? Um, not only did I watch it, I saw it twice. I, my daughter and I were at a soccer tournament and we had like four or five hours to kill between games and went back to the hotel and it was available on hotel and it was 1699. So that's how high I went for this. So I know for a fact, that's my price. <laughs> I love all kidnap movies. I've said this a million times, but if there was a prison channel, a kidnap channel and a heist channel, if Cinemax just created channels for those three genres, I'd be all in and I would always check to see what was on. Kidnap is solid. It's got Halle Berry just, her son gets taken. She's got to get him. She's going to do whatever it takes. And as a parent, it puts you in that situation, which is what I really enjoy of how far would I go? What would I do? Yeah. What would I do in this situation? So you get to kind of transfer in. So what, So it sounds like you're at $4.99 because this has been available for a year and you never bought it. I'm at $4.99 for this one, but mostly because I didn't know it was out. I I remember seeing a big poster at the movies and then it was gone and then I didn't know know anything. How far would you go if you're walking down the street with your kid, one of them, yeah. your son, and a car pulls up, grabs him when you turn and takes off? Do you just like write that one off? You're like, oh, I got another kid at home or what are you doing? You chase him? <laughs> yeah, I'm doing, I'm going all out. I'm stealing somebody's car. That's where my, that's where my elite driving skills would have to just come into play. Just have to get a car and just go, and just go to work. I think I think it's 
harder to steal someone's car than than you might think. Like you'd be like, wait, stop, stop, stop. Like yeah, what if right. the door's locked? What do you do if the door? The door's yeah. never locked, and, and no, every car could just the car door could be opened up. Super easy. I think uh, I think parents have superhuman strength with that when their kids, you know, like I never I had two small kids, and you you. When you have kids, you can throw them up in the air and catch them. You become like Randy Moss. Like there's no, no scenario where you drop your kid. Uh, you can lift cars off them. You can do all these things. So I do feel like in that situation, you would develop these Liam Neeson type skills. Did you see Proud Mary? Um, I watched maybe like the first 30 minutes and that's where I am in it right now. And it's not bad. I'm a big Taraji fan. So I wanted to make sure to watch that one. And, you know, so far, so good. It's one of those ones where you don't just sit down and get all the way immersed in. It's yeah. not that great of a movie. But if you like Taraji, same as like a, like a Liam Neeson character. Taraji put the movie on. I got to see it. So that's why. What, uh, so what? how high would you go for this? Four ninety nine, six ninety nine. Uh I would do twelve ninety nine. dollars for okay. Proud Mary. Is it available? There's a great scene in it where she's, yeah, it's, uh, it's out right now. There's a great scene where she's like, where she's doing a John Wick sort of situation where she's driving the car and during a shootout and she's whipping the car and shooting out the window and it's it's fun to watch. All right. But not good. Yeah, I'm probably at about ten ninety nine. I don't think I would be at sixty ninety nine for that one. I did like her in that movie. There's a whole other genre, like the from hell genres come back of which Started with like Hand That Rocks the Cradle and those movies, like The Nanny from Hell and then The Neighbor from Hell and The Tenant from Hell. And that just goes on. And now it's kind of come back. And she made one where Idris Alba shows up at her house because it's raining. And the, you see that one? And, the, and his car had trouble, but he's really a bad guy and he ends up. He's a criminal, yeah. 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 That one she's pretty good in. And then they made another kind of a similar version of. Same kind of premise with Rosera Dawson and some dude I don't know. And then uh, Catherine Heigl, where she's the original mom of the stepdaughter. And she's starting uh-huh. to get more and more involved. That one's good, too. I like those movies when somebody kind of loses their mind. And Yeah, those are always fun. Yeah, the, the fatal attraction premise, basically. Uh, the Accountant with Ben Affleck. You know, I have a complicated relationship with The Accountant because my brain is telling me that I hate it. But yeah. I've probably seen it 21 times. I, every time I'm flipping through the channel, then it's on there. I have to look at it for at least a little bit. And I don't know why. I, I, I don't know why. I don't really like Ben Affleck that much. I don't really like the movie that much. But I got to watch it. Yeah, knowing now it's available on cable, so you wouldn't have to pay anything. I think I would I would have. This was a 16 er for me. What's interesting about the accountant is it gets better as it goes along. And the last half hour is really good, which makes it for HBO Cinemax purposes, like uh, like a good one. Cause you can kind of jump in at the right time and really get a nice 40 minutes out of it. Like when his brother shows up and all that stuff. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good twist. Yeah. We're gonna take a break. Come back. All right. Let's talk about rocket mortgage by Quicken loans. They understand the home plays a big role in your life and family. And that's why they created rocket mortgage. They give you the confidence you need when it comes to buying home or refinancing your existing home loan. Don't want to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Their trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. In addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan 
in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently to get started. Go to rocketmortgage.com slash Bill Simmons. Equal housing lender licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Back to Shay. Hey, here's a here's a movie that's out. I've been eyeing it for a while. It's starring somebody that I like. And so I, I would guess my price would be $4.99 because I haven't pulled the trigger yet. And and I think it is $4.99. But it's a movie called Joe Braven. And it stars, I'm sorry, it's called Braven. And it stars Jason Momoa, who is the guy who, who uh, married Khaleesi in season one of Game of Thrones. It stars... <laughs> It stars him as a character named Joe Braven. And it's kind of like that Steven Seagal. He's a good guy, but something crossed and something happened. And now he's got to kill some people. It's that early 90s Seagal Van Damme plot. Have you seen Joe Braven? I have not seen Joe Braven. I didn't even know it existed until you said those words right now. I'm, I'm not all the way convinced it's real because that sounds like a ridiculous name. I did think about that when I was texting you last night with movies. I was going to make up a fake movie and see if you believed it was real, but I didn't want to do that to you. <laughs> but if I did, I think it would have been Braven starring Jason Momoa as Joe Braven. I, I'm a Jason Momoa believer. I thought he was good in that one Sly Stallone movie. The, the Sly Stallone yeah, comeback I, action movie. I liked him in that. I like I like Momoa. I'm, I just looked up Braven right now. It made Take a guess what it made at the box office. And you won't get within ten million dollars. Really? Uh, I w- I would have guessed like three million dollars. Okay, it made two hundred thousand oh. dollars. Oh no, which is not that great. Which is so the, it's probably great. straight straight to video would be my guess. I'm gonna, yeah. you know what? I'm gonna watch Braven. You watch Braven, and then then we'll compare notes. Uh, okay. Sleepless with Jamie Fox. Oh man. This one came on and I would have gone to forty nine ninety nine for this one. It was a Friday night. I remember the weekend. I had nothing to watch. Um, daughter had an early soccer game the next day. Really didn't have a lot of options on that Friday night. Jamie Foxx, Sleepless. I, I was in. The reviews weren't great. I don't know why. I loved it. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I like Jamie Foxx. He's, he's, I wouldn't say he's one of my favorite actors, but I think when... You know, he's in the right movie. I just like him. I enjoy him. And uh, and I like this one. Jamie Foxx is one of those actors who can turn what should have been a bad movie into a fun movie, like uh, yeah. Law Abiding Citizen. Law Abiding yep. Citizen should have been awful, but Jamie's great in it, uh, as is Gerard Butler. So I, felt, I thought the same thing going to Sleepless. I saw the trailer. We got Jamie Foxx as probably a crooked cop. You've got Drake playing in the in the background of the trailer. I'm like, this is, I'm in, you've got, you've got all the things I need in the movie. And I just couldn't, I couldn't get there with it. It just wasn't that much fun to watch. It wasn't funny. It wasn't cool. It wasn't, there weren't like any gigantic action scene. It just felt like, it felt like they came up with the name and the star. And then they tried to just, we'll we'll just show up and something cool will happen. And it didn't happen. Oh, I like when they do that with movies where they come up with the title and the star and then they figure out the premises. I left out. I, I'm probably biased on this because it's set in Las Vegas and I, I get irrational when, when action movies are in Las Vegas. I like all action movies in Las Vegas. What was the one? I think Nick of Time. Wasn't that the one with the boxing? No, not Nick of Time. What was, oh, uh, Snake Eyes. Nicholas Cage is at the boxing oh, match. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good um, one. 
With Wasn't Gary, that set in Vegas? As a bad guy, yeah. Yeah, that was in Vegas too. I get... You're right about Jamie Foxx, though, where he all that movie needed was a couple wisecracking jokes and it would have felt more Jamie Foxx-ish, but he'll do this. Like he did this in Miami Vice too, where he he becomes serious Jamie Foxx. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know why there's a serious Jamie Foxx. Like he should just be everything in the movie. You know, I liked it yeah, more than you did let, though. Yeah, he's very talented. Let him do all of the things in it. I mean, I understand drama Jamie Foxx, like Ray Charles Jamie Foxx. Yeah. I get it. Or, or even Showgirls Jamie Foxx. Not Showgirls. Uh, Dream Girls. Dream Girls. <laughs> Showgirls Jamie Foxx. I was like, whoa, was he in that? That uh, would have been great. But serious yeah. Jamie Foxx, I don't, I don't know. I think you, I liked it more than you, but I think we agree on one thing. I, I thought this movie would have had a, had a potentially a rewatchability component to it, and it doesn't. I saw it the one time. I liked it. It kept my interest. I would never watch it again. And yeah. I think that that was the missed opportunity. Like if they had done this, you know, I mean, it's not fair to compare these two movies because they, they had totally different goals. But I think Enemy of the State is the lost great Will, Will Smith movie. It never gets mentioned when people talk about like the great Will Smith run. And it's really good. And it still kind of holds up, and it's still in that era when uh, when people were so scared of the internet, and they just thought the internet was going to get to this place where these little satellites in the sky would be able to find out exactly where you were at all time and all that stuff. Now it turns yeah. out the internet is just a place where um, your social media places just sell your information to you know other countries. <laughs> um, but you can walk around without satellites following you. I feel like, but uh, Enemy of the State's great and very rewatchable. And Sleepless, I would say, is not. I did not see American Made with Tom Cruise. Did you see this? Of course I saw that one, yeah. And I, I was surprised at how not bad it was because it looked like it was going to be terrible. But it was also not good. They do this weird, like the whole device of the movie is he's recording the confessional. So every you know 10 minutes or something they cut and he's in a hotel room and they're yeah. building up to finally get into the hotel room. And... Those sorts of stories are usually a good time. Like when you follow a guy who starts out as a little tiny thing and he becomes very important and like a big drug cartel thing. Yeah. Um, but it just, I, I, I felt like he didn't lean into it quite enough. He wasn't Tom Cruise enough for me. He was trying to be somebody else and it didn't work. So what's your price? For uh, To rewatch that one, one ninety nine. No, no. Well, no, to, to watch it originally, what'd you do? Oh, to watch it originally, yeah, I pay. I paid uh, whatever the movie price was sixteen ninety nine for my RPX ticket and twenty four ninety nine for my nachos. So I know for a fact that my price is zero because I was on an airplane with this movie for free and made it ten minutes and didn't really care. And I just think Tom Cruise, <laughs> I he was too old for the part. I don't like Tom Cruise pretending he's like a thirty six year old guy when he's in his mid fifties yeah. now. It's like, come on, Tom Cruise, you're you're not young anymore. Uh, the mountain, the mountain between the mountain between us, Idris Elba and Kate Winslet on a mountain starts out with a great plane crash. Um, then they're trapped on a mountain, which I, I usually enjoy. I always like when, uh, they've got to figure out how to get down. Somebody's hurt. The pilot's dead. Um, there, it's always a good wrinkle when there's a dog. And in this case there was the, the pilot's dog. They got to worry about the dog. Uh, there's always coyotes or bears or some sort of animal that they're going to have to fight with at some point. 
there's always somebody gives up and then somebody ropes the other person back in and then, oh, let's go. Oh, there's a cabin. What's that? Oh my God. It's this empty cabin in the middle of nowhere and there's tons of food. Wow. We lucked out. And I like, I like all the beats of that. This one, um, which I think I did pay $14.99 for, uh, it's too, it, it also is a love story and yeah. they never really made a choice between action versus love story. And the, the ensuing mess is kind of a mess. It has some moments, but ultimately I would not recommend this. I, I put it this way. I, if for the people out there, haven't seen it, I would wait until it's on regular cable yeah, and, uh, and do a, it that way. Do not pay. Yeah. This is a do not pay. I like, uh, if you want to watch a movie that's like this, then watch The Edge with Anthony Hopkins, which is yes. almost the same exact movie minus the... There's another love angle in it, but not between Anthony Hopkins um, and Alec Baldwin, but it's all tied up in there. Yeah, definitely The Edge is better. I just want to make it known that if I'm ever in one of these situations, if me and you are on a plane flying somewhere, yeah. and we crash in the mountains, and you hurt your leg, like you're, you're going to die me. on the mountain. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I would I'm, do the I'm same not, to you. I'm not, building a, I'm not building a sled and pulling anybody down a mountain. Like, yeah. Good luck. Good luck with your leg. <laughs> Listen, the feeling is mutual. I'm leaving you as well. Once <laughs> <laughs> there's any sort of injury, move on. You're not, you're not saving anyone's life. That person's going to die. Keep going. The, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I love the edge as well. I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's, uh, it's unbelievably underrated. Some great Alec Baldwin. The guy from Oz in the wheelchairs in it. The guy from Lost. That guy, and uh, Harold. It's Harold. Harold. Harold Perrineau. And then, uh, yeah, I think it's the best one of those. I also have a complicated relationship with the Gray, which I I thought was kind of over the top when I saw it. I think I think we saw it with some of me and some of the Grantland people went over because it was playing next door and we watched it. And all of us were kind of like, okay, it was, yeah, yeah. But now when it's on cable, I kind of enjoy it. I I, I think I know. I have a, yeah, I have a better idea of what they were going for now. I think I would. I thought it was like taken on a mountain when we went, and it's not. It's it's a little more no. thoughtful. It's good though. Some good Frank yeah, Grillo I too. Pay, I would pay to, to rewatch that one. I would I would pay sixty nine ninety nine for that one. Oh, the gray. It's okay. So good. Yeah. yeah. If you knew so if you if you knew good. then if you knew then what you know now. I agree with you. A uh, couple more. The Foreigner. Jackie Chan. What did you think of The Foreigner? Tell me about The Foreigner. How did you feel? You didn't see it yet, right? No. I watched uh, a couple of the scenes, and I haven't paid for it yet, but I, I intend to. So your price is zero. I paid, uh, I did the fourteen ninety nine. There's a great explosion at the beginning. There's a great explosion scene that's really well done. Mm-hmm. Some good Jackie Chan. If Jackie Chan's meant anything to you at any point of your life, you'll enjoy it. It's a little like it's the older aging Jackie. It's like the Michael Jordan on the Wizards, Jackie Chan, but like very sentimental. Um, It's not a movie I would ever watch again. It's a little like Sleepless in that respect. It's more well done than Sleepless, but there's there's not a rewatchability component to it. It's a little grim. But I think it's worth watching. I like in the the trailer, they have the one scene where the guy is, like running through the forest and he trips and Jackie Chan is there and he grabs them and covers them up with the camouflage blanket real fast. Like yeah. things like that are always, oh, that, like I, I saw that and I was like, I'm going to watch this movie for sure. <laughs> would you know, 
One of the action movie gimmicks is somebody catches on fire and they always know how to put it out immediately. I would just be like, oh, oh, you're a fire. <laughs> Wouldn't know what to yeah. do. If, oh, I, no. if somebody catches on fire around me, then that's just me 20 minutes later telling a story about how I saw a guy <laughs> burned to death in the street. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. New movies coming out. We're going to end on this. Okay. This is great. I mean, this is like the best version of the game because, you know, these we haven't been in this situation yet. Rampage. Uh-huh. Rampage with The Rock. I saw that one. I went, okay. <laughs> I, went on, your price. I went on opening night. I went on <laughs> opening night. I paid. I took my wife. I took my three sons. It's got yeah. The Rock and a giant gorilla. I'm paying whatever price you ask. Our tickets were $70. Yeah. We saw it on the big screen, the RPX screen. We paid $70 for that. We paid 50 something dollars for snacks. It wasn't good, but I would pay another $120 to watch it again on the big screen. Great to know. I The only movie, the only indefensible rock movie is Baywatch, and he should apologize to everybody for that. All the other rock movies I enjoy. Baywatch, Baywatch was not a good movie. I, uh, I'm, I'm lock me, lock me down for 1699 when this is on Amazon or Apple. I'm ready just to charge my card now. Um, deep blue C2 is apparently happening. What do we know about deep blue C2? Anything? Uh, we know that we have the same genetically enhanced sharks. Thank God. And we know there's an, we know there's an evil billionaire. It's great. And I think the Sharks might be even smarter this time around than they were last time. I'm concerned so, that um, the cast is not exactly star-studded. No. That, that no worries LL, me. There's, there's no yeah. Morgan. I mean, there's no Samuel L. Jackson. There's, it's not going yeah. to be good. There's no way it's good. Uh, and yeah. it's also coming up behind The Meg, which is going to be incredible. What movie? Uh, so... The Meg. You've not seen the trailer for The Meg? Who's in it? Remind me. Bill! You haven't seen the trailer for The Meg? No, I, I, who's in it, though? Refresh my memory. Is it Jason, Jason Statham? Statham? Yeah, 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 I saw it. A Megalodon. Yeah. yeah, that looks amazing. I'm with you. Yes. Okay. I'm, I'm okay. probably, I'm like somewhere like $79.99 for The Meg. Oh, easily, the, uh, easily $79.99 for The Meg. Deep Blue C2 is going to be 1.30 in the morning on the movie channel like three years from now. I might get sucked in. Yeah, I will say. Zero dollars. I will say Deep Blue C, the original, is, a, is, in my opinion, a cable classic. I'm not sure it's a rewatchable. I don't know if it has that kind of vaulted whatever, but really good. Deep Blue C is really satisfying. Sam Jackson's death scene is one of the all timer. I didn't know that was coming classics and I love it. I love it every time. Uh, three more. Wow. I don't even know how to do these. All right, let's start here. The equalizer two with Denzel that's happening. (laughs) Max it out. out. (laughs) I'm trying to think like I'm definitely in triple digits for that. There's no question. I I don't even know. It's a, yeah, my ATM card has a, a. You can only take three hundred dollars out in a day. That's the most it will let you. I'll, yeah, I'm using all three hundred of my dollars to go see Equalizer Two. My dad loves Equalizer One. 
or the, I should just call it the equalizer. That is like, for some reason, and he loves Denzel. Denzel's one of his guys, but he really loves the equalizer. And he, it like made him mad. It didn't do better. I was like, it did fine. It's like, no, it should have done better. It's a great Denzel. More people should like the equalizer. Like it's agitated about it. Uh, equalizer too. I, I like that Denzel. I hope he's heading into this phase of his career now where he, we're, we're heading towards training day too. I don't know how they would do it, but I, I, I think he should start thinking about it. Maybe it's his brother, a twin brother or something. Uh, now this one, I'm like a 10 out of 10 for excitement for this one. Skyscraper. Okay. I, oh yeah. I love tall. I, I get freaked out by tall buildings and heights. I think the original Die Hard is one of the great ones ever. I never understood why there hasn't been more something bad's happening in a skyscraper stuff. He has a fake leg in this, apparently. Do you a know fake this? Leg. Prosthetic yeah, apparently leg. he has a prosthetic leg in this somehow. For for reasons yeah. that I'm not sure, but that's in play. It's the rock. It's a lot of like somebody diving out of the window, but somehow catching on to uh the window cleaning thing and a lot of that stuff and or somebody a fight scene where they're getting closer and closer to the window. I I, I can't wait. I'm maxing out my attempt for this one as well. I'm gonna tell you they show the trailer. I've seen the trailer on the on you know the internet beforehand, but they show the trailer for Skyscraper when you go see Rampage. And yeah. again, we were on the big RPX screen. It's mm. going to be the movie will be bad. You could tell it's not a good movie, but it's going to be so much fun to watch the shots that they do. They take a lot of advantage of the uh, of being up that high. The, like the the one main scene from the trailer is when he jumps from that construction rig over to the building and yeah. they show the long version of that in the trailer. And it's great. It's so great. It's, it's, well, I'm with you thing, on that one. Max me out for that one too. Yeah. The thing is that technology is, is flawless. Now we had a stretch there with CGI and all that stuff where it would always felt a little off, you know, which is why I think cliffhanger with Sly Stallone is so great. Cause that was actually pre pre CGI. And whatever they did with the stuntman and the elements and all that stuff, it's a really, I think that's one of the most underrated action movies. And my, I love Slice Stallone, but um, now you have the technology to really do the skyscraper and peril. And yeah, I, I'm just out of my mind excited for that one. The last one we have, it's not fair to put money on this. So I'm going to, I'm going to frame it a little differently. If I told you, I can arrange for you to see John Wick three tonight, but you would have to live in an eight by 10 prison cell for the next four days afterwards. Would you take that deal? <laughs> yeah, I would take that deal. I wouldn't what, even I, minimum that. security prison, like not like a dangerous, not like, not like the stuff they show on MSNBC. You'd be in like a white collar prison. There'd be like uh there might be one bad guy. There might be one Jamie Lannister gone wrong, but it'd be a lot of people who tax evasion, stuff like that. But you'd be in a prison. Okay. Yeah. If I get to go to white people prison, then I would do it. But I okay. don't want to go to Mexican prison. <laughs> okay. All right. So <laughs> what's your, by the way, what's your move in a maximum security prison? Do you just take somebody out right away? Uh, no, I be, I become the submissive. Oh, you, you get, you immediately find, yeah, you, okay. Cause there's two moves. It seems like you either, you have to just kill somebody right away to lay it down or yeah, you have to find mm -hmm. protection. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. I'm, I'm a finding protection guy. Should we be worried about John Wick three? 
No, we should not. They okay, good. Up, they somehow turned up the volume on John Wick 2 and it got better. And yeah. now you have everybody in the world trying to kill John Wick and John Wick 3. Every assassin. Yeah. Go for it. What is that? I might, we might have to see John Wick 3 together. All right, I'm in. We might have to do we that. We can All go right. get tickets today and wait outside the theater until it opens. We should take Kawhi. It'll be you, me, and Kawhi. It'll be, it'll be the three of us. I can't believe you're going to end this on Kawhi. We're having such a good talk. <laughs> we just talked about Kawhi for 35 minutes, and then you're going to take one last shot before we get out the phone. That's, Plug I your basket. I lose the next four. Oh, that hurt my feelings. Go, will you, go, will you plug, go Bucks. Stop it. Will you plug your basketball book quickly? Yes, it's called The uh, Book of Basketball by yeah. Bill Simmons. Stop it. it's great. Number one bestseller of all time. Basketball and Other Things by Shea Serrano. When is that coming out in paperback? It's, it started in paperback. I'm a paperback guy. Or when is it? When things. is? That's right. You're right. Um, when does it come out in the, when does it come out in the updated, whatever money grab second version of the same book version? I should have said, you, you know what we did? We, we put stickers on all of the remaining copies that say president Barack Obama picked this book for his 2017 best books list. We did Ooh. that for the update. So that's, where Oh, that are. was really smart. So yeah. By the way, congratulations on that. Oh, thanks. I can imagine him like hanging out with Michelle in some house in Hawaii and be like, I'm really enjoying this book by Shea Serrano basketball and other things. Some great, it's a great book. I really like it. We have that was my Obama already. Yeah. We've got an Obama impression. We got a Liam Neeson impression. This was a good podcast. I think this might it was be really a good. downloaded podcast. I'm really proud of us. Uh, Shea Serrano. I'll talk to you soon. All right. All right. Bye. All right, thanks to ZipRecruiter. Don't forget to try them out at ZipRecruiter.com slash BS. Thanks to Hotel Tonight. They help you book amazing deals at great hotels up to 100 days in advance and top destinations and up to a week in advance everywhere else. Whether you need a sweet deal and a nice room for today, for the winter and beyond, start scoring amazing deals and incredible hotels and download the Hotel Tonight app right now. I will be back later in the week with one more BS podcast. Don't forget about the Ringer NBA show tonight. They're coming on right after three playoff games tonight. I think it's been an awesome playoff so far. Hope you're enjoying it. I'm going to go enjoy Boston. See you in a couple days. Bye.